0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Sifted Podcast, supported by Zendesk for Startups and recorded at Dream Factory in Shoreditch. I'm Amy, Sifted's Editor. And I'm Eleanor, Sifted's Deputy Editor. And we're now in the third episode of Season 2, in which we take a peek inside what's been going on in the Sifted newsroom, and we discuss the top news and stories and opinion pieces that our journalists have written across the week.
1: I think it's not a coincidence that this is episode three and that episode three in the Star Wars universe is Revenge of the Sith. Because this is definitely Revenge of, can we actually get the sound right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have had a few audio issues over the past few episodes, but we are in a very, very pro setup now. And Eleanor has saged her apartment. So we're feeling good. We're feeling positive about this one. It's going to be good.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about how startups are embracing ethics from their earliest days to avoid repeating some of the mistakes of big tech. We're also going to be talking about Brexit's impact on edible bugs. No, not Brexit. No, this one's good, honestly. And we're also going to be talking about our best performing story of the week, which we will not tell what it is yet, but it is a juicy one.
0: Interesting. So how has the week been, Eleanor? The
1: week has just flown by. It's been really, really busy, but we've had some fun and exciting things happen at Sifted. We launched our Agony Aunt column. I feel like we've been bouncing that idea back and forth for a really long time, and it's finally happened.
0: Yeah, so the Agony Aunt column is basically one of our reporters, Kai, is taking submissions from founders and people who work in startups. Please get in touch if you uh, have a problem he needs solving. Uh, and they basically email in issues they're having. This week, it was someone whose co-founder is leaving ahead of a big fundraise, and the co-founder still has a 25% share in the business. And this founder, who preferred to stay anonymous, basically asked us what on earth they should do. So Kai went and got in touch with a lawyer, a VC, and another founder whose co-founder had left very amicably before, um, and got their advice. It's a pretty interesting one. Take a read. And if you have any burning questions that you want the Sifted aunts to answer, then please get in touch with Kai. He's Kai, K-A-I, at sifted.eu.
1: Yeah, Kai was on fire this week. He did two super interesting pieces. He did the put together the column, the Agni aunt column. And then he also did a cool piece about startups outside of London. And I learned an incredible fact from that story that I did not know, and which just completely blew my mind, which is that startups outside of London still raised more money than all of those startups in France combined. It's
0: pretty nuts, isn't it? I perhaps assume that a lot of the capital raised in the UK comes from London, which it does but that such a significant amount is raised outside of London as well. That's pretty, pretty impressive. We also had a fun debate going on with Chris O'Brien, who's one of our freelancers. He's based in France. He is an American. He wrote a really interesting brunch with sifted with the so rare founder, so that's that NFT platform where you can buy NFTs of football players as we Brits would refer to them, but he insisted on calling them soccer players throughout the piece, so we had a bit of an internal discussion about the style guide. This sort of exciting things that gets journalists pulses racing. I mean, the Answer is clear. I'm in the wrong company for this <laughs> this discussion. And what about what have our readers been telling us this week,
1: Eleanor? So we had some interesting reader feedback that we are a little bit too UK focused and that sometimes when we talk about startups outside the UK, we actually flag that those startups are, you know, like, I don't know, a French startup or a portuguese startup or whatever Um, whereas if we're talking about a startup from the uk we don't flag that so super interesting feedback and i mean we're always looking for stories about startups and great founders great operators outside of the uk so if you have such a story please get in touch yeah it's a big mission for
0: us this year is to get even less uk focused than we currently are and then the other thing that we are obviously still doing at sifted this week and we will be doing for a long time is looking into stories around Ukraine. So Tim, who we've heard on the podcast previously, is working on a piece about how Russian founders are doing and people who work for Russian tech companies, how this is impacting them as well. And two of our reporters, Miriam and Steph, are looking into the companies that are actively recruiting Ukrainian tech workers around Europe and what's going on there. So stay posted for those articles, which we'll hopefully be able to talk about Next week. But now, onto the first story we'll be talking about this week, which is on ethical advisory boards. And this story comes from Miriam Partington. She's our reporter based in Berlin. Eleanor, you edited that one. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so I actually um, also
1: kind of came through an introduction that I got at Slush. Actually, I met one of the stories that was mentioned in the piece called Anyone at Slush. And they're a super interesting company. Basically, they want anyone in the world to be able to get advice from anyone for five minutes on the phone. Very cool, but obviously poses incredible questions and potential problems. You know, you could be having a real mental health crisis, call someone for advice, and who's to say that that person is qualified to give you the right advice, right? Or you could be doing a big, huge decision about your career and someone could give you really bullshit advice. And they reached out to us and said, yeah, I mean, we're, we're very much aware of all of the things that could go totally wrong with this. And they are creating an ethical advisory board. So Miriam kind of looked into startups and tech companies in Europe that are creating these boards.
0: So how big
1: is this company, anyone? It's it's not very big. I think it's about 12 people. So super early stage. So one of the big questions that people are, who are more critical of these boards ask is, is a really, really early stage company, does it make sense to devote the resource to creating such a board? Obviously, it's it's resource intensive. You need to potentially pay the people you need to spend time on it asking the right questions and then feeding that back into how you develop products and you know talk to your customers so for a very early stage company that doesn't have many people it's you know it's kind of divided on whether that's the best use of resources but
0: anyone has decided that that's what they want to do super interesting because that i mean we have companies like google and facebook right have ethical boards or ethics boards but they're ginormous. And for a company that's only 12 people to put that much effort into it, I guess it shows they're really serious, which is presumably a very good sign to the right kind of customer and investor. I guess I assume they also think that if something went really wrong, it could really bugger up the business, couldn't it? So they're kind of you know, it's a way of avoiding risk in the future.
1: Yeah, so actually, these kind of ethical advisory boards are more common in the medical industry for very obvious reasons, right? But yeah, you know, you mentioned big tech companies. And I think that's really what's in the back of founders minds in Europe when they set up these boards. The first generation of big tech made real mistakes about how they approached their responsibility towards the social impact of their technology and their business model. And this new generation of companies really wants to avoid those mistakes and make sure that they're thinking about the impact of their technology on society, on people, on the environment from day one. And that's important because A, they want to hire talent and talent for talent, that's really, really important. And it's very competitive to hire talent right now. And B, it's important for your customers, right? Customers are choosing much more with their values now. So, this is something that startups feel that they need to do
0: from day one and if any founders listening to this and think wow i want me an ethics advisory board how did anyone go about finding the people to be on this did did miriam find out anything about how you at you know ethics advisory board 101 yeah so in the case of anyone they
1: actually used a consultancy called ethical intelligence ethics as a service company
0: Love that. Love that. (laughs) Ethics as a service, people
1: that um, helped them set up this board. But the other company that's mentioned in the piece, Net Guru, they actually just set it up internally and it was more of a vol- voluntary participation thing. And yeah, we do see more and more of these consultancies. I worked with some of them before in my previous life, talked to them. Yeah, the ethics as a service, companies that provide consulting services and advice about how to be ethical. Amazing.
0: let's get freya pratty on she's our news reporter based in london and co-author of our sustainability focused newsletter sustain if you're not signed up to it and you like green stuff please do sign up and we're going to be talking about how brexit squished the uk's edible insect industry at least for now
1: Welcome to the Sifted podcast, Freya. You had a very interesting and also kind of hilarious story this week about Brexit and bugs. Tell us what's going on.
2: Yeah, so I spent the past few days chatting to edible insect founders from across the UK. There are people making things like cricket protein bars, mealworm fritters, and there's a restaurant that serves bugs. And you had kind of an
1: interesting character in the story who founded one of these companies. Tell us a little bit about him.
2: Yeah. So one person I spoke to was Jeff, who runs a startup called Hot Bar. And he got into it when he was at uni. So he was playing a lot of badminton, doing a lot of rock climbing. And he was looking for protein sources that would go with his sporty lifestyle. And he heard that crickets have a really high protein level. So he started making things like protein bars and protein shakes from crickets in his university kitchen. He tested them at the, the local sports center and they were really popular. So, yeah, he started this company and they've just opened a a farm in central London near Tower Bridge. But they've all been hit by some complications since Brexit.
1: So what changed when Brexit happened, Fran?
2: So before Brexit, the UK used to use the European Union's process for approving novel foods, which is what insects are classed under. But after Brexit, that process has shifted to the UK's own food standards agency. And that agency had never before had to deal with these requests. And apparently they've got 500 to go through. So there's a huge backlog and they also never had to deal with them before. So it's taking them some time. And in the meantime, there's been no transitional measures put in place. So it's meant that insects that were once approved in the EU have suddenly become unregulated in the UK, which means they're not currently authorised for human consumption. And Freya, what
0: have people had to do since the bugs became illegal?
2: Yeah, people have responded in a mixture of ways. One woman I spoke to had killed all her insects about six months ago. She told me she just kept a few for her own consumption because she said that she couldn't keep going while while she couldn't sell and while she didn't have an income from it. So she's taken quite drastic measures. Other people have halted manufacturing for the meantime, but they can bring the process back when the authorisation comes through. And there are people who have carried on trading, but they're doing so at their own risk, or they've had to source insurance policies that will cover them even when they're selling an unauthorised food.
0: And one thing I found quite fascinating in your piece, Freya, was that the UK government actually invited some of these producers, didn't they, to come to COP, even though it's actually illegal for them to hawk their wares.
2: Yeah, I think people were really surprised. They'd known about the change in regulations. And then they got a letter from Innovate UK, the UK's innovation and tech board saying, can you provide some mealworms for COP? We want to feed them to the delegates. And they had to say to Innovate UK themselves, like, no, we're not allowed. They're not authorised. So yeah, I think people have been shocked about how little knowledge there is around the fact that this has happened to the industry. Sounds like the Keystone Cops a little bit. So Freya, what's going to happen? So the Food Standards Agency said it is going to get through the backlog of dossiers. And they're also saying that there will be measures put in place because at the moment we're using the same process as the EU, but they they want to shift to a quicker process. So I think they'll go through the backlog and then they'll also look at how we can improve the process beyond what it was even before Brexit.
1: Cool. And Freya, just one final question. What is your favourite bug to eat?
2: I've never actually tried them. I guess I've only been reporting on this since the lack of authorization. but I'm very excited for when they get back on the menu. Yeah, there's, there's some crazy things. There's like a pizza made from cricket flour and things like that. Yummy.
1: Thank you so much, Freya.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Zendesk for Startups. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from day one. With the Zendesk for Startups program, startups get Zendesk customer support software for free for six months. You'll get access to expert advice and a community of founders and CX experts to help you build the foundation for long-term growth. Learn more and claim your six months free at zendesk.com forward slash sifted. And now for our final section of this week's podcast, we're talking about startup life, which is one of the areas we focus on at Sifted. So that's all the kind of people stuff that happens at businesses, everything that goes into actually growing an organization beyond the fundraise, all the stuff that is a headache for most founders and heads of at startups, day in, day out, a headache and a joy. So, Anunak, Interesting opinion piece commissioned by you this week, which suggested that, you know what, we don't actually need CEOs
1: after all. So yeah, we had a great opinion piece by the three co-founders from Hence Technologies, which is a software company that's making products for lawyers. And they have decided deliberately that they are not going to appoint a CEO. They're just going to be the co-founders and they're the C-suite, but there's no CEO between them. And... It just like took off like wildfire. I thought it was a great piece. It was really fun to edit. You know, their, their writing was great, really punchy. There's a great line at the end of the piece where they say, you know, investors might want one throat to strangle, but we'll give them three throats. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this
0: passion. Um, yeah. Do we think people loved it because everyone hates their CEO and wish they didn't have one or because there are so many co-founders out there that resenting the fact that one of them got the big title and the other ones didn't?
1: Yeah, people seem to be super triggered by this. And I feel like it's because there is a general expectation in startups that there is going to be someone that's the CEO, right? And in the op-ed that we published, the hence co-founders kind of chalked this expectation that you have to have a CEO up to investor expectations. They thought that founders thought that investors expected them to have a CEO, so they had a CEO. Um, And they do mention other things like, founder ego or the fact that a founder might want to have the CEO title on their resume for whatever next job they're looking to do. But I really think that that ego thing plays a huge role. There's something about, you know, if I'm the CEO, that just makes it seem like I have a lot more responsibility and I'm the real big boss, even if we're all co-founders.
0: Okay, I get that. But to be a little bit sceptical, how on earth do any decisions ever get made if there isn't one person who, you know, the buck stops with?
1: Yeah, totally. So in the case of Hence, they if it's like a really, really big decision that impacts the entire business, like, you know, who are they going to take money from for their fundraise? They sit down together and they talk about it and they decide on that. And they really believe that their individual experiences are all equally important enough that they should feed into whatever decision they make. So,
0: Does that not make things slow? I mean, there's three of them. They can just get together in a booth like we're in now. They could fit in here. And is it needs to be two against one or all three need to come to an agreement? In the piece, they
1: talked about very much trying to get to a consensus. They say in the piece that they're not going to not have a CEO in the future. If the business expands, that might be what the business needs. But they talk about how in early stage startups, when you are still such a small team, it's not necessarily appropriate or a good idea to have a CEO.
0: Super interesting. So if you're at a startup where you're trying to oust the CEO, not have a CEO, deal with some interesting entrepreneurial egos, we want to hear from you as well. Send Eleanor a controversial opinion piece idea. She loves them. And that is all that we have time for today. Please go read all of
1: our wonderful coverage, including about, find out more about the bugs and the Brexit on sifted.eu. You can also learn about everything we're writing about through all of our newsletters, which you can also sign up for on the website, and follow us on
0: Twitter at SiftedEU. And please let us know what you think of our new format by emailing hello at sifted.eu or amy or eleanor at sifted.eu. We're friendly people. We like getting your emails as well. And please join us next week for episode four. Bye-bye. Bye.